you have your Bibles, would you open up to Acts 2 as well as Galatians 5? We are continuing our series called The Room Where It Happened. We have been talking about the Holy Spirit. And I want to remind you that, uh, at least let you know, a week from Wednesday, so the last Wednesday of this month, I believe it's the 31st, at 7 o'clock, we're going to do an open night of prayer from 7 to 8 o'clock right here in this room. We would love for everybody to be able to come. And see, we've got people in the balcony excited already. Um, But that would be an amazing night to come and just, we're going to have just an open night, organic night of, of prayer. So if you can't come right at seven because of work, uh, work is later, whatever, you can come in. You can leave and come as much as you want during that hour. Um, we've got people that are going to be here ready to pray for you. So if you need to come and, uh, and you've been seeking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you want to see a greater infilling of the Spirit of God in your life. We've got prayer team members who are going to pray with you and pray over you. Um, if you just want to come seek the face of God on your own, we're just going to have simple worship music playing in the background. And we're going to have just a night of just prayer and just asking the Lord to do something fresh and something brand new. So that's a week from this Wednesday, 7 o'clock p.m. And also, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't say something because I'm a dad. So sometimes dad's got to say dad stuff. And uh, this week marks our 12-year anniversary for when we moved to Portage, Michigan. Um, and we, we got ourselves established as brand new pastors. And what we didn't realize is when we were starting to attend this church, that there was a family that was already attending the church that would one day um, have my future son-in-law. My daughter got engaged last Sunday, and I'm a very stoked dad. Um, and so there may be wedding illustrations coming up over the course of the next couple of years. So apologize in advance. So I'm excited about what's happening within the family. Thank you for just being an amazing church family uh, during this season. We are, I've had a secret that I haven't been able to tell you for months. And now I can talk now. I'm pumped. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We have really just been trying to draw out of the room where it happened. The falling, the moving, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We gave you the, ty- the term Shazam last week, which means to, it, it, it's a term used to introduce an extraordinary deed, an extraordinary story, or an extraordinary transformation. And so I've just been camping out on that word over the past couple of weeks, because that's what happened. Acts chapter 2, verse 4, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. I think that's a miracle by itself, that the church was all together. They were unified. Everybody showed up on time in one place. And suddenly they came a sound... Um, came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We have been loving just diving into that and I would challenge you that every morning would you open up Acts chapter 2 and would you read those words and would you invite Acts chapter 2 in here Uh, because as much as I want to read about the room where it happened I want to be a room where it actually is happening that's my heart 
And there's a, there's a statement that I gave to you last week that I wanted to keep building off of this week, and it's this, is that God filled you with his spirit not to keep you a secret, but to put you into circulation. Let me repeat that. That God's spirit has come upon you not to keep you a secret, but to put you into circulation. That is, I, I think of uh, the, the, the band Newsboys. I grew up on Newsboys. Anybody grew up on the Newsboys? Some of you are like, who are the Newsboys? We had Christian music back, well, I guess we still have it now. Um, but I remember the newsboys talk about that, this, that the gospel is not a secret to keep, that we've got to go public with who we are and what we're about, but we go public because of the Spirit of God. And so we have this beautiful room where we've got people praying. They start speaking in tongues as the Spirit gives them, them utterance, and then outside the room. So we've got people in the room, people outside the room, people that are in the flow of the Holy Spirit, and people that are in the outside that don't know what's going on whatsoever. And they begin to remark. And some of them are astonished because they, they are seeing people that don't know specific languages, now speaking languages that it's like, how did these people, some of them uneducated, some of them did not take, um, uh, what's, that, uh, what's that language uh, program out there? Rosetta Stone, let me get the Pop-Tart. Rosetta Stone, they didn't have that downloaded yet on their phones. So they're like, how do they learn these things? And so some people were in amazement and yet other people begin to mock them and make fun of them. And on the outside saying, listen, I don't know what they've got in there, but I think they've been drinking something here, which has been manifesting something else that we're experiencing. And so from the inside, you've got the spirit of God is moving, but from the outside, there is this outsider mentality that says, we don't understand what's going on. And so therefore we have conjecture, we have suspicion, we have uh, opinion, and we're just gonna make a remark about outside versus those that are on the inside. And I feel like this verse 13 through 15, which simply says, others mocking, saying they're filled with new wine. Peter then said, listen, men of Judah and all who dwell, let this be known and give here to my words that these people are not plastered as you suppose, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. He lays out that, listen, what is happening inside a room is not what you think it is outside here. And even in the simplicity of this setup, we see almost a difference between spirit and flesh. Spirit, something happening in the room something being done outside the room. I see this as this, almost this metaphor of the small demonstration of the, the conflict that happens between spirit and flesh. The flesh and the spirit, according to scripture, are always in conflict. Do you have anybody in your life that you're always in conflict with? Stop nudging your spouse. I'm talking about maybe somebody outside your spouse. Somebody that you're always in conflict with. I've got those people in my life. They usually cheer for other teams or they're my sibling. I don't name names. But there are people that we actually have conflict with all the time. And sometimes it's just because of a personality thing. But what we find out from New Testament scripture is there is a conflict between flesh and spirit. And so I started asking myself, how do we adequately and simply describe the word flesh? Because if you grew up in church, you hear about the flesh. If you read the writings of Paul in the, in the New Testament, you see the word flesh come up all the time. And we immediately think of this like physical flesh. But I, so I met with a few staff members and I just tossed out some ideas. And so Pastor Marty sat and I sat down and I'm like, okay, how do we describe the flesh? And this is kind of what we came up with. The flesh 
is the human inclination to, to live only in our natural broken humanity, which is our desires, our feelings, our urges, instead of living in intended humanity, living in accordance with who God is. So that right there was something we came up with, the idea that we're trying to make it simple, that when we are in the flesh, or when Paul talks about the flesh, it's this idea that we live only about, according to our own inclinations of our broken humanity. We live according to our urges, to, to our feelings, only to our emotions. Now listen, emotions are not bad. For those of you that think emotions are bad, come into our series. Uh, let's see, the, the week after Easter, we start a series called Days, uh, Days Without Incidents. Ever seen those little signs in a factory? It says like 30 days without incident. We're gonna do a series of just zero days without incident. We're gonna do a series on emotion. Emotions are not bad, but when we live according to our feelings, desires, and urges, that's the way our humanity wants to live instead of what we call intended humanity, the Garden of Eden, the way God wanted us to live, walking in accordance with who he is. And so I asked another staff member, and Kyle came up with a much simpler setup. He says this, flesh is man's desire to be in control to determine life for ourselves. That might be the more simple way to put it. I think it's, yeah, I think it's true. Flesh is living with our own inclinations, but the word is key that the word is control. Our flesh, our own desires, our own way wants to be in control all of the time and to determine life for ourselves. Instead of letting Jesus determine life or the spirit of God determine our life, we want to determine our own life and that's the flesh. And that's the battle that I see even in the simplicity of, of um, Acts chapter two, verses 13 through 15, is we see something's happening with the spirit and people walking in the spirit. And then we've got people on the outside. They, they, they have never given their lives to Christ. They don't know how to interpret what's going on. They don't know how to understand the things of the spirit. So they are thinking in their own way and with their own opinions. And I believe God is calling us as a spirit-filled people, a spirit-driven people, not to live to our, with our own way of of wanting to do things and letting ourselves determine life, but letting the Spirit of God have his way, have control, give us direction to help us to become more Christ-like. And Paul, man, if you ever want to understand somebody who knows what it's like to have their life transformed by the power of the Spirit of God, you need to read the writings of Paul. Galatians chapter five, I love, Paul's, Paul gives such a great breakdown of this. In Galatians chapter five, verse 16, he says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In other words, walk by the spirit, be, walk in the control and the leading of the spirit and don't walk in a way that just seems right to you. I've had people say, well, I think we all should just do what seems right to us. I, I, I promise you that would be worse than the zombie apocalypse. It would be worse. I think of the way that I felt sitting for 25 minutes in a line at a McDonald's drive-through last night, trying to get my son dinner. There are things and feelings that I was going through in 25 minutes at McDonald's for Pete's sake. There are ways that we want to act in our flesh that are not the way of the spirit. For the desires of the, of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other and keep you from doing the things that you want to do. 
But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, um, enmity, uh, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, um, cheering for the Dallas Cowboys, and things like these. I warned you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's just stop right there because there's so much to unpack. It, Paul hits us hard immediately. Verse uh, number 13, he begins to say, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Excuse me, verse 16. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the flesh. Now in the circle of that word, if you've got your Bibles, it's okay to write in your Bibles. It's not okay to cross words out, but it's okay to circle words, to underline words. So circle the word walk, because that's a key word I want you to focus on. Walking. Because when it comes to being a people that come out of a life of Pentecost, we are to be a people that need to walk with the Spirit. When I think about walking, I think about an interview that I read by, uh, that was an interview with a man that is Nick Walenda. Nick Walenda is a, he's a Christ follower. He loves Jesus, but he is known as King of the High Ropes. And he comes from a lineage. I come from a lineage of pastors and that doesn't mean anything. I'm a fourth generation pastor and all that means is I've got more issues than anybody else in the room. That's all it means. Uh, this guy came from a lineage of high rope people. If you've ever heard about the flying Walendas, um, it's circus folk. I've got Mike in the back shaking his head. Uh, this is his lineage. Come, I mean, I don't know what you passed on to your kids. He passed on to his kids walking on tight ropes. So he is the great-grandson of Carl Walenda, who was one of the greatest high ropes walkers ever. And he was talking about his, his grandfather, and excuse me, his great-grandfather, Carl, and Carl fell to his death in 1978, only 75 feet high. Now, I love, I love what he says in the article. It was only 75 feet high. Okay. And we're talking, okay, that's what, 30 feet only 75 feet high, he fell in San Juan, Puerto Rico. And according to Carl's wife, Helen, so his great-grandmother, this is what she said about her husband. All Carl thought about for three straight months prior to the accident, all he thought about was falling. It seemed to me that he put all of his energy into not falling, into not, instead of walking on the tightrope. Think about that. For three months, instead of studying and practicing walking the tightrope, he spent three months worried about falling. And she, this is what she said of her husband. He was virtually destined to fall. He put all his energy into not falling instead of walking. Now, when we think about serving God, I wonder if some of us have such a wrong view of God that all we're worried about when it comes to this life of being a Christ follower, I wonder if we are actually causing more issues in our life by having a goal being not sinning. Now, now don't get me wrong. Everybody listen to me on, on live stream and here. I don't want you to sin. Does everybody get I just said that? But the goal in life is not to not sin as a Christ follower, is the goal to get to the end of life, okay, I did it without sinning, or I did it with as least amount of sin. And believe me, I want you to sin as least amount of times as possible. 
But I wonder if we can have a corrective mode of our life and a corrective view of the Holy Spirit because he comes in your life, not necessarily to keep you from sin and he will do that, but he wants to come into your life to boldly walk as a Christ follower and to let the life of Christ come up in your life. Because I wonder if we will do a better job avoiding sin, not by avoiding sin, but by, by simply just being Christ-like and following Jesus and letting the Spirit of God help us in that walk. So perhaps we would see a greater move of Christ's followers, not by just simply avoiding sin. And again, please avoid sin. But listen, I wonder if we would, instead of worrying about avoiding sin and worrying about following, if we would just worry about following Jesus and walking boldly after him. You see, when, if you're taking notes, write this down. The Holy Spirit helps us in our walk. How? Number one, he becomes our point of reference. The Holy Spirit is our point of reference. He is the one that becomes our point of reference for our walk. In fact, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will come and he will be our point of reference. He's gonna remind us of, the, of who he is and what he said. Because I don't know about you, every one of us, including myself, we have points of conflict. Sometimes those points of conflict are external and we've got a whole lot of that going on during COVID. And then we've got a lot of things that go on on the inside, conflicts that take place. And these conflicts that we experience internally and externally bring us to places of decision. But if our point of reference is the flesh, if our point of reference is the ways of the flesh, our own desires, our own ways of gratifying ourselves, our own feelings, our own emotions, if, our if our, that's our point of reference, then we will never see the Christ-likeness that we have been destined to have when the Spirit of God came in our life. And so our flesh was never meant to be the point of reference. The Spirit of God is our point of reference because it helps us to become more like Jesus. And it's not this hocus pocus thing. It's not about an it. In fact, I need you to write this down. The Holy Spirit is not an it. It's not a thing. But the Holy Spirit is God and he's here to magnify Jesus through our lives, in our lives, out of our lives. The Spirit of God is here to be at that point of reference to help us, to guide us, not just so we can be a better Dave Berenger per se, because I don't wanna be a better Dave, I wanna be a better Jesus to the people around us. I wanna see our people become better Jesus to the people around them, that wherever we go, that people would see Dave Berenger, but more specifically, shrouded by the presence of Jesus Christ. So the Spirit of God becomes that point of reference to help us walk our lives day in and day out so that people can see Jesus Christ. I love how the New Living Translation says it. It says, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Instead of walk in the Spirit, let the Holy Spirit or allow the Holy Spirit to guide your life. So the Spirit of God is our point of reference when it comes to that word walk. Now, Paul in Galatians 5 uses a second word. He uses the word walk in verse 16. And then in verse 18, he uses a different term. He uses the term led. You are to be led by the Spirit of God. Now, it sounds familiar to walking in the Spirit, but there's a difference between I am walking and then I am being led. Because I can be walking with a, with a point of reference but I don't have to submit to that point of reference. I can walk with a point of reference, but not submit or lean into that point of reference. Now, 
to do a little Bible study. I don't know if you mind any Bible study in the house this morning. Hopefully you're not minding it. You're in church this morning. It's the pastor talking. So we'll do a little bit of Bible study. But there's a Greek word for the word led that I want you to look at. We're going to put it up on the screens. The word led is the word ago, which simply means to lead. And you're like, man, this is the most blind mowing, blind mowing message I've ever had in my life, Pastor Dave. The word lead means to lead. Thank you, Pastor Dave, for rocking our world this morning. But... When you break down how the word is utilized, the word ago in the Greek language was often used to depict animals that were led by a rope tied around their necks. And once tied to that rope, those animals willfully followed wherever the owner led them. So when it talks about being led, I know you're not animals, just work with me here this morning. The idea is when we're led by the Spirit, we don't just have a point of reference to lean upon and to remember, but we also have what I'm gonna call this, a point of reverence. The Spirit of God is our point of reference and he's also our point of reverence. And when we have that point of reverence, we submit our lives as if it was from in this Greek translation, in this Greek understanding that says this, that not only do I have a point of reference, but I am willfully letting my life and allowing my life to be led by the Spirit of God wherever he wants to go. I love this. One commentator says this, it must be pointed out that the word ago is also the root word for the Greek word agon which is where we get the word agony. And in the Greek, this word describes tense conflict, like a struggle and a wrestling match or a struggle of the human will. The idea that when it comes to walking with the Holy Spirit as a point of reverence, not only do we need to submit, but sometimes when we're submitting to the Spirit of God's control or the Spirit of God's leading, sometimes there's a wrestling match that happens on the inside. Anybody else ever have a wrestling match with God when God kind of directed you to do something or to go somewhere or to be something or to say something? Everybody, one of you apparently is just let God have full control because everyone's like, what are you talking about, Pastor Dave? I'll be the one in the room. I have often struggled when the Spirit of God says to do something, says to go somewhere, or says to operate in this way, or to step out and to say these things, or to deliver this message. There are times that the Spirit of God has, has worked in such a way that has brought conflict. What's the conflict? It's the flesh. It is that human side of me that wants to have my own way. I love having my way. Again, the only one in the room that wants their own way all the time. I love having my own way. And I, I love what the, what the scripture says in the Old Testament that there is a way that seems right to man. It seems right to man, but the end, it is absolute destruction. And that's why we not just need a point of reference, but we need to have our lives live in a point of reverence to the Holy Spirit. Because reverence says this, I don't just know what you have done in the past and what you want me to do, but I live in a reverent way that bows my life, my flesh to you. It says, God, it's to you alone that I live this life forward. See, walking is our point of reference. Then led is being our point of reverence. Being led in verse, verse 18 becomes the place where we get refined by the Spirit of God. It becomes the place where we get grown by the Spirit of God. It becomes the place where we get stretched by the Spirit of God. Because you can have a point of reference and not have a point of reverence. I know people that, hey, I'm just gonna walk and do my thing. I'm just gonna walk and, and just live 
just a, a nice little Christian life. But I've had people that live nice little Christian lives where they don't want to be led by the Spirit to do anything outside of their comfort zones. But I want to be a people that do more than just have a reference. I want to live life that has a reference that says, Spirit of God, wherever I go, you tell me what you want to do. You lead me where you want, to, want me to be led. You let me say whatever you want me to say. I want to live with such a reverence that my life lives perpetually bowed before you. Because this, this is one thing I do know is that the Holy Spirit can do more with your surrender than he can with your control. The Spirit of God can do more with your surrender, more with your reverence than he can with your control. There is a way that seems right to man. And I'm here to tell you, that's the flesh. There are ways that feel right. Well, I gotta do what feels good to me. I'm here to tell you, that doesn't lead anywhere good. Because when we're going with our feelings, you know what we're really searching for? We're searching for acceptance. And we can search for acceptance and you will never ever find fulfillment in that because you're searching to find fulfillment in something that only Jesus was ever able to give you. And so that's why we live with our point of reverence and reference. And it lives, helps us to live in this place of transformation because surrendering is that consistent commitment that helps us to do, uh, I'll say it this way, to show up differently. I was reading a, an article about Kobe Bryant and I'll be honest, I'm not a Kobe Bryant fan. For those Kobe Bryant fans in here, I'll forgive you. Kobe Bryant, one of the most, honestly, I'll give him his props, one of the most amazing basketball players of all time. I was reading an article by an, uh, a journalist that heard things about Kobe but didn't know if he believed them or not. And so he was trying to figure out what was the key to Kobe's greatness. And so he wrote these words. He says, Kobe Bryant had these crazy workouts that he would do. And so I went to him and said, can I just come and sit and observe what you're doing? And Kobe said, yeah, that's all good. Just meet me at four o'clock. And so the, this journalist, his name is Alan. Alan says, well, wait a minute. I thought that's the same time as tomorrow night's basketball camp. And Kobe said, no, 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 four o'clock in the morning. And so Alan, not deterred, said, okay, I'm gonna show up. I'm gonna show Kobe I'm serious about what I do and that I'm a serious trainer as well. And so I'm gonna beat Kobe to the gym. And he said, I'm gonna wake up at three o'clock. I'm gonna catch a cab. I'm gonna get there before Kobe gets there. So he catches a cab, he gets there, pulls up. He sees the lights on at the gym and he gets out of the cab and faintly hears a basketball bouncing. And when he walks out the door, Kobe is already in a full sweat doing warmups before the workout. And so Alan comes in, he sits down and he's intrigued by watching Kobe. And he's bored out of his mind because Kobe is doing the most basic fundamental things taught to middle school basketball players. And he writes, I sat there watching him. And when the workout is over, I leave and I don't speak to Kobe. I didn't speak to his trainer. But curiosity began to get me later on that day. So when we had the camping session, I went up to Kobe and said, Kobe, I'm curious. I sat and watched you minute after minute do these very fundamental drills. And I'm wondering why you're doing the basic things. And Kobe's response is this. Why do you think I'm the best in the world? Because I never get bored with the basics. And he says, Kobe understands that commitment to the basics helps him to show up differently. He's got talent, but his commitment to basic things help him to be different every time he shows up. And this commitment 
to the basic things is tied to his love for the game. These are not the things Kobe has to do, but he recognizes that if he's gonna show up and be different, he's got to stay committed to those things. What does that have to do with us as believers? It's because some of us, we want the spirit of God to move, but we're so, we're so busy looking for the extraordinary things that we want him to do that we haven't yet got mastered the basic things that he expects of all of us to do. And if, if we wanna be the people that wanna show up and be different in the world, you wanna show up and be different, live with the Holy Spirit as your, as your reference and as your reference. Get in that place. Get into your spiritual basics. Get into the spiritual disciplines. If you've never ever studied spiritual disciplines, it's as simple as this. Get reading your Bible. Practice prayer. Practice scripture or prayer meditation. Get yourself in a place of fasting. Um, spend time in worship. And I'm just scratching the surface. I've got a great book to give you. If you ever want to get a book on spiritual disciplines, I've got a fantastic book. But I think some of us are so busy looking for the extraordinary, not realizing that the extraordinary is not the explosive things that we think about with charisma or Pentecost, but it begins with just mastering the basics and showing up every day with the Lord and showing up and serving him and, and learning about him, diving into his scriptures, diving into prayer, being a man and woman of worship and learning to get into the basics because it's the basics that helps make us great followers of Jesus Christ. Because surrender is not about a moment in the day. Surrender is about a mode of life. And I love that about Kobe. The fact that it was a mode of life. What he did was not something special. This was his everyday, four o'clock in the morning playing basketball. Can I tell you what I think about at four o'clock in the morning? Nothing. Because I don't think Jesus is even awake at four o'clock in the morning. But what I've learned about that, it's just, it's that surrender to God in the basics of life, in the everydayness of life. It's not a moment on a Sunday. It's not a moment when you get reminded about the message from Sunday. It is a mode of life that says, spiritual discipline, say, I will surrender to the Lord because I don't want him just to be at my point of reference. I want my life to have a point of reverence of living my life surrendered. About the year 1485, Italian painter Filippo Lippi painted a portrait called the Virgin and the Child with the saints Jerome and Dominic. And for many years, the critics deemed this perspective of the painting to be off. They said that the hills and the surrounding landscape of the painting were off balance, almost like they were gonna fall off the painting itself. St. Jerome and St. Dominic looked awkward and uncomfortable. And it wasn't until an art critic named Robert Cumming realized that the previous critics, they had the wrong perspective. They had been looking at the painting standing up, but Lippi had intended for the painting to aid in prayer. And he intended for the people to look at the painting as they were kneeling. So when Cumming changed his posture and he kneeled, looking up at the painting, everything shifted. The proper perspective came into view and all the little things that he had missed before were now clearly viewed by him and he was able to see them in proper proportion. Why is it that the people outside the upper room in Acts chapter two, why did they have the wrong perspective? Because the perspective was all from the flesh. 
But I wonder what would happen if we as a people, supposed to be people of the Spirit, began to allow the Spirit of God to be our point of reference and our point of reverence, where all of a sudden we begin to change the posture of our life to be living, to be walking in the Spirit and being led by the Spirit. I wonder if our take on the world would be different. I wonder if our social media posts would be different. I wonder if the way we related to our coworkers would be different. I wonder if we would see miracles happen in our school. I wonder if we would begin to see the Spirit of God and the gifts of God begin to flow in the marketplace. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder what supernatural things could happen if we were a people of God that had a perspective that said that whatever we're gonna do, we're gonna walk and be led by the Spirit so that our lives are in the Spirit, that our lives are being lived out so much that people, our perspective will change the way we see the world. Walking and being led, point of reference and point of perspective or point of reverence. That's what God has called us to. Because Paul warns us that to live according to the flesh, he says, starting at verse 19, he gives the list. Now the works of the flesh are, they're evident. When we're not let, walking and we're not led, this is where it goes. And he lists off a massive, now it's not an exhaustive list. Please don't make the list and just check these things off. Yep, I'm good. Uh, no sexual immorality, no impurity, no sensuality, no sorcery, no strife, no jealousy. It's not a checklist. He's trying to say, here's some fruit about what happens when you live life in the flesh. Because when we live a life not walking and being led by the Spirit, there is fruit, so to speak, from that. But then he tells us, but when you show up, when you show up and you're consistent, you're going to see evidence. What's the evidence? But the fruit of the Spirit. Now, please, this is a little pet peeve. You want a pastoral pet peeve? You're gonna get it anyways. The word fruit there is singular. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. There are fruits in the church, but there's not fruits of the Spirit. There's fruit of the Spirit, singular. And think of it like this. Think of like an orange, cutting open an orange and seeing all the sections of an orange. Here's all the section of the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When you begin to walk and be led by the Spirit of God, when you, how do you know that you are walking with the Spirit and you're being led by the Spirit? You are going to see the fruit of the Spirit born from your life. And it's a fruit that will resemble Jesus, which means that word love up there, love won't be defined by your desires. Our love won't be defined by your reference. It's gonna be defined by Jesus Christ. It's that, it's that unadulterated, untainted love. Even, even look at the words like peace, the peace that shows up. I've got, I've got a friend of mine. We sent him out from this church a couple, about a month or so ago. He is pastoring a church in Vicksburg. You know, in the past month, Literally, past month, he has lost his mother. He's lost his grandmother. Yesterday, his sister's uh, house caught on fire while he's preparing memorials. He has got, his grandfather had to go in for a stint. And I'm, the things that him and I have been talking about is the peace of the spirit. Peace is not the absence of calamity. It is the presence of the spirit of God with us now. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, gentleness. You know what gentleness is? Gentleness is not that which it makes you a pushover. Gentleness says that you are velvet steel. You know what velvet steel is? You can't run it over, but you brush up against it. You get gentleness. The essence of who Jesus is. 
And we can keep going fruit after or piece of fruit after piece of fruit, section by section, and, be, and, and digest it all. But the reality is this, is that the fruit isn't defined by the flesh. It's defined by the spirits. And as we walk in the spirit, living life with Jesus as our reference, and as we're led by the spirit, living life in surrender and in reverence to who he is, we become a people that are transformed, that will transform the world around. I promise you, take, take the next month, study the book of Acts, because what happens in the room where it's happening, what happens is the spirit of God descends upon humanity. But what happens from Acts chapter two, verse five on, is a result of a church that was determined that we are gonna walk in the spirit and we are gonna be led by the spirit. And when you've got a church walking and being led, that's how transformation happens to the world around us. We are here because a church decided to walk and be led. Point of reference and point of reference. Let's pray.